This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Hey, welcome everybody to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Happy 4th of July out there to you on this, it's a beautiful Saturday morning, a little, a little cooler than it was yesterday, maybe that rain did a lot of good, hopefully you're having a good one, getting ready to do a little grilling and chilling, popping a few cold skis, cold brewskis and enjoying yourself. On this Saturday morning, that's why we had two hours of great sports talk coming your way to kind of kickstart your 4th of July weekend off right, and we do it as always, coming to you live from the 103.7 Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Hey, we appreciate you listening, however you're doing, so be it from the FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. And of course, you know, we're always talking about the fact that this is Acadiana's number one sports station. You know, we got all kinds of great ways to listen to it. The FM dial, as I mentioned, the mobile app, smart speakers. I'm sure you can wind up figuring out some way, somehow to be able to listen to it a lot of different ways, including the dot com. Make sure you check that out for all the great content that we got up there. And I think we're going to have even better content down the road once we get sports back in our lives. But, of course, you know, if I'm part of Acadiana's number one sports station and I'm the best sports show on Saturday mornings, I think that just solidifies the fact that i got to be the best of them all. That just cut and dried. I'm the best. Whether you like it or not, you're looking at woo, the greatest the best looking man, the best dressed man, long limousines, jet airplanes, custom made clothes, and any woman in the world I want, just like that. And oh boy, oh boy, it's a great 4th of July. Hopefully you have a good one so far. And there's a lot of different ways I could go. I could be talking all day, all night about what's going on with the renaming of the Washington Redskins, the potential of the Cleveland Indians getting their name changed. But I'm not going to get into that because this is not that kind of show. I'm not a national radio show that talks about this stuff 24-7, 365. I'm here to kind of talk about what I want to talk about. And honestly, it's the 4th of July. Why not make things a little more lighthearted to start off the show And if you've been listening to the Jim Rome show for any amount of time, you may know, or at least as of late, you know where I'm probably going. It's a Saturday sports sermon, but is it really about sports? (laughs) 
Hey, we look this week in the Saturday Sports Sermon. We talk about the man himself, Jay Cutler, the man that's definitely going to drawn a lot of eyes towards him and his antics. He loves him some chickens. He has a lot of them in his chicken coop. And after a week-long hunt, the man got his guy. And that was a raccoon. Wouldn't you know who won the pony? This was a ridiculous week-long story that everybody, that all of America was in on. Jay Cutler, a man who may not have been the best quarterback in the world. Some people may call him Shampoo. Three interceptions in a game every week. Guaranteed, eat, sleep, three interceptions, repeat. But the man has definitely had a bit of a rough last, like, let's say six months. First, you know, he gets divorced from his wife, Kristen Cavallari, losing that very Cavallari money. But then has also kind of been accused of being lazy. Let the man live. Let him have his moment in the sun. Let him have his time where he's not necessarily focused entirely on football, especially after the last several years of playing the NFL, retiring, coming out of retirement to play for the Miami Dolphins and not really wanting to be there at all. That being said, Jay Cutler has been making headlines for a very different reason. Last week, he lost some of his chickens. The chickens went missing. Some of the chickens... They didn't come home to roost. They were killed. And Jay Cutler was out for revenge, trying to figure out who the culprit could have been. He's thinking a coyote, a bobcat, even his cat Thelma, who he said was a savage with loose morals. Call it a cat, a savage with loose morals. I think you'd say that about most cats. I'm not a cat guy. I'll just put it that way. Thelma was later cleared of any wrongdoing, but the possibility of it being a cheetah, because Cutler apparently thinks that a cheetah may be out there smoking Jay Cutler, maybe smoking a little bit too many doobies, but he wanted to spend a lot of time on Instagram informing his followers of this newfound conflict, and it captured America's mind by storm. Is one morning he woke to a front yard littered with feathers from another lost chicken, like it was a scene straight out of The Godfather when the horse's head is right there in the bed of the guy who is about to get the hit on him. Then, we fast forward a little bit. The man himself, Jake Cutler. There was a more complex trap he put in to set this up, and apparently it was avoided by the enemy. Could it be a fox? Could it be anything else? And I gotta say, it was interesting. Could have been even Bigfoot, the Sasquatch, could have been taking those chickens. Maybe it was Big Bartholomew. Maybe he was taking those chickens. But turns out, again, it was a raccoon. And and he found out about it thanks to a night vision camera. He's been mocked enough. And he finally caught that raccoon. But it wasn't done yet. Because the little man, because the raccoon had a partner, had a tag team partner. Maybe it was the raccoon's old lady. Without a doubt. The raccoon was caught, taken care of, and Jay Cutler's chickens can come home to roost. They're able to come home to roost and be able to sit back and relax and enjoy this 4th of July weekend without fear of persecution, without fear of being attacked 
by raccoons or coyotes or Bigfoot. However, they're going to do it. The Big J's chickens, they are safe. And it's a beautiful thing, baby. But more importantly, it's just kind of what America needed during this time. Because we're all kind of divisive on a lot of different things. One thing we can agree on is no man's chickens should be harmed at any given time. Because he has them for a very specific reason. Getting those eggs, getting it, getting those eggs all natural. You got to respect Jay Cutler, smoking Jay Cutler. Being the absolute beast that he is and continuing to really prove that he is way better than I, I, I think anybody gives him credit for. But again, then again, that's just my opinion. Why don't you let your opinion be heard on the conversation concerning J.A.Y. Cutler, smoking Jay Cutler, the former other half of Very Cavallari. Which way do you lean on this conversation? The game hotline is open. Call me up. Chat me up about anything and everything. 337-706-0111. And that concludes your Saturday sports sermon. Looking towards Jay Cutler, the ballad of Jay Cutler and his chickens, and more importantly, his descent into madness. So excited that that part of the story is over. Now we just look forward to when Jay Cutler What's Jay Cutler going to do next to follow up the story of the summer? A movie, something's going to wind up probably being a 30 for 30. Maybe one of those 30 for 30 shorts. The Ballad of Jay Cutler's Chickens. I'm just coming with the title right now. And he, or better yet, I'm sure it'd be like, Savage with Loose Morals would be the title of that 30 for 30. To be honest with you, the Jay Cutler story, I've been trying to bury the lead on all week. Because I wanted to see a proper conclusion. I wanted to figure out what was going on, if this was a work or what. Because honestly, it just felt like maybe Jay Cutler needed a little bit of attention. After all, again, he's had like the worst six months of his life. He's gotten divorced. He's been accused of being lazy. Again, Chris Cavalier needs to lay off lay off my boy Jay Cutler. He is not lazy. He's just, you know, he wants to relax after being in the league for so long and playing football for so long. Sometimes you got to take a break and figure out what's next. Let the man breathe. He, he basically you know, had an opportunity to be an analyst, but then wound up being pulled right back into the game. Again, thanks to those jabroni Miami Dolphins, I don't think he even wanted to be there. So big credit to the former Bears, former Miami Dolphins quarterback for a cup of coffee in the big time right before he decided to finally hang it up. Well, we got a great show for you coming up today on the show. We've got Ross Jackson. He'll be joining the show at 1130. But at 10.30, I'm looking forward to this one. If you want to be a high school referee, Daniel Gotro is the guy you need to hit up. We'll have him on the show to tell you what you need to do starting on Monday. This will be starting this coming Monday to enter to fill out an application to become a high school referee for the 2020 high school football season. Now, of course, the high school football season is pushed back or what have you, but it's just better to get it in now. It's going to be starting next Monday. We'll get we'll have him give the details about that. He's also a refereed in the SEC and the XFL. We'll definitely spend a good bit of time talking about the XFL. But he'll be coming on at 1030. Ross Jackson, 
the Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. He'll talk about those New Orleans Saints, what's going on with them, the rumor innuendo concerning, you know, Jadavian Clowney, who he'd rather get if you were to get one on the cheap, his five favorite Saints of all time, and also a little look back at the 2011 team and the 2020 team, those two teams squaring off in polls that he put up. And honestly, I like the conversation, but we're going to run that down a little bit too. So make sure you keep it locked right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. In the meantime and in between time, we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, obviously the big story in sports isn't just Jay Cutler and his chickens. LSU getting it done on the recruiting trail yet again, and maybe they could make it three in about four days in the month of July. We'll talk about that and much more when we come back right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up, man. I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Independence Day 4th of July weekend. And hey, guess what? I'm still here inside the 103.7 The Game studios as per the usual. but I absolutely love being here on a day like today. Well, we've got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts to kind of talk about, but of course, we need to get down to the basics here when it comes to what's going on involving some of the top commits to LSU because they've been working hard over the last few days landing two really big name commits when you just look at the star ratings again a lot of four stars already on this roster for the 2021 class on the docket and I gotta say there's some fun ones in there of course we all know about one of the more recent ones Garrett Dellinger Yesterday, Chris Hilton out of Zachary, an absolutely amazing wide receiver, joined the program, 5'11", 169 pounds. Going to need a little meat on them bones, but I think he's going to wind up paying off quite well. One of the other more recent ones that started off the month of July, as you heard of the two-minute drill, Naquan Brown getting it done and committing to the LSU Tigers. and It's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm just absolutely Looking forward to it. And I got to appreciate my guy. We are Joe McHugh. Hit me up on the Twitter machine. You are a hardworking, dedicated America doing work on the 4th. Honestly, I've mentioned it before. I'll say it again before I continue getting into some of the nuances of recruiting and how things are going for LSU. I don't consider this work. You know, I don't consider it work. You know, this is a fun job. I'm not going to lie. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. This is not, you know, the, like, I'm not digging ditches. I'm not, you know, out there being an essential worker during a pandemic like people in retail. I have nothing but respect for those people because I used to work in retail for like a decade. But this isn't necessarily, to me, work. You know what's work? Being out there, 
and taking care of business. That's work. This is fun. This is fun because I get to talk to you about all things sports, and I can talk about whatever I want. I can talk about sports, sports entertainment, maybe a little bit of boxing, UFC, whenever it's apropos. But, of course, there's a lot of other things I could talk about, but I try not to. But I appreciate the love on this 4th of July. We're coming to you live. Hey, it's 4th of July. Why not live it up, you know? Like Chicago said back in the gap, it's Saturday in the park living like it's the 4th of July, and I probably butchered that. But LSU has been doing a great job as of late in the recruiting trail. A lot of four stars, only one three-star, and that's Anthony Hundley out of a Miami, Florida defensive tackle who committed back in November 2019. Who knows if that's going to hold or not. But there's a lot of different questions right now with LSU. And I think the coolest thing is they have a chance to lock down one more possibly before the weekend is over. And it's Caleb Williams. This man is absolutely somebody that everybody's been talking about. Caleb, as he puts it, Superman Williams is going to make his commitment today. And there's a lot of rumors concerning who is going to be the recipient of this man's service. It's somebody, you know, who is out in Washington, D.C. at Gonzaga College High School. He has some great highlights of his junior year. But again, he's a quarterback. He's one of the top quarterbacks in the entire country. The number number one QB in the country going to be making his decision today at 8 o'clock, our time, 9 o'clock his time. And LSU had is on the table. Of course, all the signs point towards him going to OU. But I wouldn't be surprised if LSU is, is in that consideration and they get into that spot. I think, at the end of the day, Caleb Williams could very well be another crown jewel in LSU's recruiting class of 2021 that's looking to be even better that I'd say probably that 2019 class that we have been talking about ad nauseum. The 2019 recruiting class was pretty damn good. Like in the Ed Ogeron era of recruiting, he has been killing it. And, you know, you just look at how he's been able to do it by state. By state. He's got three in Louisiana and three in Texas. He's covering those borders really well. One in Mississippi. But he is branching out not just in that southern range, in that southern hemisphere and all the southern countries that he hits up, southern states, excuse me. He's hitting up Georgia, California, Florida, Michigan, Mississippi, Ohio, and Virginia. Two of the last three commits, Michigan, Garrett Dellinger, and Naquan Brown, both from Michigan and Virginia, respectively. you got to think how difficult that is probably to pull off on a day like today. How difficult is that to pull off in 2020, during a pandemic, to lock down a absolutely amazing talent from Michigan, from Virginia, during a time when you can't have them make official visits, when you can't have them on campus and you can actually talk to them face-to-face, eye-to-eye, not from a Zoom room somewhere and you're showing them slideshows. There's a difference between what I think Ed Ogeron has done in the past and what could be the norm going forward in the middle of this pandemic and what happens now, what happens in the post-pandemic world, whenever COVID-19 isn't necessarily as big of an issue 
sport, traveling, or what have you. There's a lot of different questions that are going to have to be asked and answered, not just by programs like LSU, but programs across the country and the NCAA at large. How are you going to handle recruiting going forward? It's going to be a real question. I think a lot of us are going to continue to wonder how that goes for a lot of different programs. UL, for instance. Again, UL is lucky to be able to kind of have that kind of situation where they do recruit more around Louisiana and a little bit of Arizona where we know Billy Napier still has a little bit of inroads. But there's still something to be said about what Ed Ogeron is doing at the national level. Right now, ranked 7th in the national rankings. 14 commits at this point in time. Could very well be 15 by the time this weekend is over. Ranked 2nd in the SEC. Again, this has come from 247 Sports. This is going to be one heck of a, like, Two, if they can get Caleb Williams, a pro-style quarterback, out of our nation's capital. And I, I'm interested to see how that's going to go. I absolutely love the fact that, you know, the the way things are right now, I'd give Ed Ogeron every opportunity to get it done. Every opportunity to say, hey, we're going to win this guy over. We're going to get this guy over to our university and prove to him, hey, you know, look at all this talent we've had. Look at what we did with Joe Burrow. You want to win a national championship? You want to go to Atlanta, play in the SEC title game? You want to make the college football playoff year in and year out and not get bopped over the head by a team like Alabama or LSU? Come on over to L- come on over to Baton Rouge and win a national title instead of being in contention and coming up just short because, hey, you know, Lincoln Riley is more of an offensive-minded cat but he just can't seem to have his defense together. It's a defensive league. It's a defense sport. They win championships. Look what LSU just did with Joe Burrow. Look what they're going to wind up doing with Miles Brennan. Look what they're going to wind up doing with all this talent they're going to have around them. But can they get this big dog to bite? Odds are, probably not. But don't be surprised if he picks that hat between if it's between OU and LSU, I take LSU in a heartbeat because they're the better team all the way around, and they have the better chance of getting it done and winning a national championship. I think you know you look at the calling card of Lincoln Riley. You know, oh hey, we got Baker Mayfield, we got Kyler Murray, we got those we got those guys into the league, top pick, but you didn't win a national championship. You won a national championship. With, we won a national championship with Joe Burrow. And only took us one try. Y'all have been in the college football playoff getting bopped over the head by teams like Alabama and Clemson umpteen times. I think there needs to be a point where you're saying, you know what? Why do I even bother if you're a recruit to commit over to the University of Oklahoma? Come on over to Tigertown, Caleb Williams, if you hear me. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back... We have a lot more to talk about involving more more high school football recruiting and, as, and refereeing when it comes to getting into the game of being a referee for high school football with Daniel Gotro. He gave you the lowdown on that, and a whole lot more is going to be discussed. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Back after this.
Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break up. Let's get back to the famous CD. Yeah. Who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Appreciate you listening in on a July 4th edition of Under the Dome. If you celebrate America's holiday, make sure you do so responsibly, especially during these weird times. It's probably the weirdest 4th of July of all time, at least for me. But right now we're going to go over to the game hotline to talk to Daniel Gotro. He's on the game hotline. Daniel, how's it going? Hey, Clint, how are you? I am doing good, and the biggest reason why I wanted to have you on is because high school referees, they're going to be getting ready to register for the 2020 high school football season, whenever that may be, but you know, why don't you give the people what's going on with that? Well, uh, Clint, actually, um, we're going to start uh, registration uh, this coming Monday at 6 o'clock at the Gerard Park Recreation Center. Um, now, we're, we're currently not able to meet uh, in person, but they'll have a like a drive-through registration for the first few weeks um, of the of the season, and uh, we're actually going to meet through Zoom as well uh, with that with you know that schedule kind of forthcoming. But if there's anybody in the listening audience that's interested in refereeing high school football for the upcoming season, um, this Monday uh, and next Monday, uh, so the sixth and the thirteenth, uh, we'll have registration in person um, where you can pick up your rule books find out kind of some information about where we're maybe going this season. Um, you know, so that's uh, that's what's coming up for, for the high school officials in the area. And that's going to be really important to kind of get an idea of what's going on with all this because there's so much unknown at this point in time. I, who knows, in a couple of weeks' time, we could find out even more. It's not just about COVID-19, but how that could affect high school football in the fall if it could very well be happening in the spring. But regardless, you need to get signed up for this. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, just kind of like um, the local football players in the area are, are going to prepare just like the season's going to start on time, uh, I think it's important that, that our guys in this area kind of do the same thing, that they're getting prepared, that we, that we begin to study our rules and study our mechanics. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll do all those things um, via Zoom, uh, you know, until we can meet in person, until there's a little bit more, um, you know, direction on where the season's going. But, uh, but yeah, it's very important. And uh, like I said, this this coming Monday uh, and the following Monday at six o'clock at the Gerard Park Recreation Center, uh, they'll be there to collect registration. It's some somewhat of an informative meeting, but from six to seven p.m. Uh, they can meet and uh, um, you know, sign up and kind of kind of you know get, kind of just maybe if they want to have some questions, if there's anybody in the area that that wants some that wants some you know maybe find out a little bit more information about refereeing high school football, uh, you know now's the time to do it. And, you know, we hear about it all the time. It's like it seems like there's more and more, especially in the high school ranks, there's a bit of a referee shortage. I hear it all the time from people close to me, and I hear about it uh, a lot. Like how important is it to kind of have these referees in place and not have it basically a situation where you're almost stretched too thin, especially here in the Acadian area? Sure. Uh, and, and really it's not, it's not just a football issue. In terms of high school officiating, it's it's all sports throughout the uh, throughout the area. All, all of the associations throughout the area that are looking for for officials. Um, so I, I know volleyball registration should be starting in the near future. Uh, you know, basketball will get started um, in September, and really anyone who's interested in in possibly 
joining any of the sports in the, in the Lafayette area, you can visit the LHSAA's website. There's an officiating tab, and it can direct you to you know to everyone to, to every association in the Lafayette area, um, regardless of the sport. Um, where officials can join uh, or, or find out more information about that. So, um, you know, we're always looking for, for you know, men, women, young, old, uh, anyone who's interested in maybe learning a little bit more about the game. Um, you know, uh, it, it's competitive. You're always working to maybe get the best assignment. Um, so uh, you, you can play the sport, not play the sport, uh, but it's a great way to stay in shape, great way to stay involved, um, and really a lot of my friends, uh, you know that I've made throughout my adult life have been guys and girls that I've that I've I've officiated with. Talk right now with Daniel Gotro, an official. Also has been an official in a lot of different aspects, not just in the high school ranks, but he's moved on up. He's been in, he was part of the SEC. That was your first year last year, right in the SEC. Yes, Clint, that that's correct. What was that like being like your first full year being in the Southeastern Conference, where these games? Are just played by some of the best to ever ever lace up the cleats. Uh, you know it it it, it was really something else. Um, you know it it's uh, uh, while while you don't really get um, kind of overcome by the crowd. Um, you know, but uh, uh, when you're working in a stadium with 102,000 or, or or you know 98,000, um, you know, you can just kind of feel the intensity, um, you, you, you know, the environment, the passion. Um, are, are all something that I really hadn't experienced before. Uh, it was a, it was a great uh, opportunity for me, and um, you know, like I said, we're just keeping our fingers crossed that uh, we'll get to play in the fall uh, with some fans in the stands, whatever that might look like. And you brought up the fact it's like you know you coat you referee in the SEC where you see just hundreds of thousands of people, and now there's a chance where you might not have fans in the stands at all. How much weirder is that going to be? Basically, to where you're going to be able to, con- nobody's going to be booing you after a maybe a call that maybe would have been a little bit more dubious, and the fans won't be booing you. How much of a difference is that going to be for the officials? Uh, you know, I, I, while while you you understand the crowd and you and, and you can kind of feel the excitement at the end of the day, you know, you you have a routine that you do in between plays that leads you up to the snap. Um, you know, I don't see it um, as being completely different. Um, we've the last two springs, um, I worked in the XFL and in the um, the AAF, um, so I've probably shut down more leagues than, than the virus has <laughs> itself. But uh, um, we actually played our uh, exhibition or our preseason games with no fans in the stands. Um, where they were trying to get TV, they were working out. You know, they were putting cameramen on the field, camera women on the field, and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, a lot of guys had that experience of working with no fans in the stands, but it was treated like a real football game. And um, again, we're out there doing jobs, doing our jobs, just like the coaches are and the players are. And while it might take a little while to get used to, and whatever the you know whatever the number is. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll adjust, and I, I think just like everybody else, all, all sports fans across the country, um, you know, people just want to see sports, whether it's in person or it's on TV, and uh, officials want to do the same thing. So, whatever they assign us, whatever they tell us, um, you know, I think I think our, the officials in whatever conference, you know, they'll be ready to go. And you brought up the XFL and the AAF shutting both of those leagues down. I love the way you said that. But Daniel, you know, looking back at those XFL and AAF games, you know, and seeing how 
things were, like, was there even like a remote chance of those like spring football leagues surviving? Well, you know, I, I'll be honest. Um, both leagues, you know, uh, and, and I can only really talk from kind of the officiating standpoint. Um, uh, both leagues treated us really well um, in terms of you know they were they were professional and the coaches were professional and the players were professional. Um, I'll say this: I, I really thought the XFL had a chance um, because they had money invested. Um, you know, they, they had an investor. Um, it takes a lot of money, um, you know, to operate um, a league like that. Uh, I really thought Mr. McMahon and his people, um, you know, were, were, were on point. They were detailed. They had a business model, and obviously, he had some cash to back it up. I, I don't think anyone could have predicted that this would have happened in the sports landscape and. You know, I mean, in a matter of a week or two, uh, you know, he went from running a, uh, a WWE um, and, and the XFL, um, where they were both making money, um, to where you couldn't have fans in the stands for either. You know, he, he couldn't hold WrestleMania, and I think he took a big hit on that end. So, um, uh, which kind of led that um, you know, to where they were. But uh, I definitely think that there's a need for a spring football league. Um, I think the NFL would probably have to be involved in it in some way. But um, from an officiating standpoint, it was all guys and girls that, you know, the NFL was looking at as possible uh, officials in their program one day. And, um, you know, uh, it gave us snaps uh, playing by very close to NFL rules. And, they and you know, this XFL go-around, they didn't have any gimmicks. It was – it was it, while they had some other – you know, they tried new rules – uh, it wasn't very gimmicky, and and I'll be honest, the, the, to me, the kickoff rule um, was a way to. It, it, I thought it reduced um, the, the physical, the, the running down the field, the contact um, where players get injured or, or maybe more likely to get more injured. Uh, and uh, I thought that was a rule that could keep the kickoff in the game with with player safety still being, um, you know, the focus. So. I I thought it was great, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed, um, you know, that there probably won't be another spring league this spring for for officials to work and, and for players to play. Yeah, exactly. It's just disappointing to kind of see these spring leagues not necessarily be able to take off, maybe like we would want to. But you know, we, or we were talking bringing up the XFL and all that, and just seeing how things went. And one of the big things that I liked about the XFL in terms of officiating was the fact. That they were a lot more transparent about what was going on with the calls, showing the replay, showing what goes on in the replay booth, kind of showing how the sausage was made. Do you think that's something that the NFL and a lot of other like college football should try and start doing, be able to show people and give them the transparency to explain to them how this, these decisions come to me? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I still think at the end of the day, fans are fans. Um, and I think in, in a league like the XFL or the AAF, you could be transparent uh, and you could show the replay process. Or, you know, in the XFL, the TV was actually wired into our headsets. So TV, you know, we communicate on the field with, uh, with, with radios. TV was tied into those. So um, I, I think it's good for that where there's not a lot of fan following. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, if you were to show that in the NFL or show it in college football, fans would still not agree with the transparency because it would go against their team. Um, that's just my own opinion. Um, but, but I do think, though, that you'll see rules 
that were used in those two spring leagues moved into fall football at some point. Um, you know, there, there's been serious talk about in the NFL about the potential of having a sky judge. Um, and, and we had sky judges in both the AAF and the XFL. And I think also the onside kick rule where you put the ball down at the 30 yard line and it's fourth and I think 14. Um, I think that has some traction. And, um, I think that the rules committees have, have discussed it in the last couple of years. And, um, it was definitely a, an interesting way, um, you know, that, to, to, to take the onside kick, which is a, kind of a dangerous play and implement it with a different style. So, um, I, I think that there is some, that there will be some of those rules that move over, but, um, you know, I don't know, um, you know, I don't know when or how, but, uh, I think those things would, would be great for the NFL, for college football to try rules in the spring, um, to see if they work. Well, more before I let you go, Daniel, we, we kind of have skipped over the AAF, obviously, for obvious reasons, but let me get your thoughts on that. How did, like, you brought up how the XFL treated y'all well. How did the AAF treat y'all? Um, you know, they, it was fine. Um, I, I think, um, you know, they probably, uh, could have used, like, an offseason to maybe, uh, or maybe another year to kind of iron out some things. Um, you know, um, uh, I think they had the right direction. In fact, I, I think the the XFL took a lot of the things the AAF did and tweaked them uh, because they had a year to to watch to sit back and watch how it worked. Um, I think at the end of the day, though, it's just they had some financial things come through, um, uh, or some financial things that did not happen for them that 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 led to to the league kind of folding and some promises and stuff that weren't kept. And uh, it was kind of a shame because a lot they had some really good players. Um, that played in that league. A lot of guys who who signed with NFL uh, teams and, and and contracts, and um, you know, it gave guys that maybe um, you know had good college careers, but um, you know, maybe got hurt and needed a year or two to kind of let those injuries heal. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, they had some trophy winners that played in the league in the AAF. Line, and I think you know, Fandel was one, and Trent Richardson played for the Birmingham team, and. I'll be honest, the crowds were, were pretty good. You know, you'd go to San Antonio and there was 30,000 in the stands in the AAF and, or like St. Louis had, had 35,000, um, you know, in their, in theirs in February. And they were in cities where people really wanted to support football and a spring league, I think, was something that people could get behind. So, um, I mean, it was a good league. And, um, like I said, I, I, I just think, um, you know, I, I, I don't think, I know the XFL would, would have been around another year. Or two, um, if it wouldn't have been for we know for obviously for this pandemic. So, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road, and you know, tell tell Greg and the fam family I said hi. I will, Clint. And so, just just one more time, if anybody's interested in uh, joining the high school association uh, this Monday, uh, July sixth, and then the following Monday, six p.m. Gerard Park. If you have any questions. Uh, you can you can look online on the LHSAA uh, website on the officiating tab, and it'll, it'll get you in touch with either myself or my father. Um, you know, and maybe we can answer any questions over the phone. So, Clint, thank you so much for having me uh, on today, and uh, we really appreciate all that you guys and all the, the staff at 1037 The Game does uh, to help promote officiating in the Lafayette area. Once again, thank you, Daniel, for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Clint. All right, that was Daniel Gotro. I I appreciate him coming on. 
just a great guy and also just a great conversation, Joe. Not just about what, how to get involved in high school officiating. I'm more about, you know, I wanted to get some XFL questions, and we did. And I think it exceeded some of my expectations. I'm going to go ahead and walk off of this show. I'm just kidding. i got a few more minutes left in this hour. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up hour number one in a nice little bow. we got more of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 Game and 1037Game.com. trying times. The world famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just gotta keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Welcome back under the dome with CD. We're wrapping up our number one in style. Appreciate all, all the listeners kind of hit me up in the DMs, going down to the DMs and the and the text line, the anonymous text line, I should say. When it comes to kind of complimenting the interview we just had with Daniel Gotro, talking a lot about what's going on and how to get into the officiating game, but also kind of the XFL conversation because I just. If you've listened to this show long enough, you know how big of an XFL fan I was, thanks in large part to the fact that Vince McMahon was running it, and number two, the great Alan Michael, who's now out in the Steel City, rooting for his Steelers, and also just out there enjoying himself and enjoying life post-1037 the game. Who knows what that cat's doing right about now. I'm almost certain it's not spending his time listening to Under the Dome but, hey, if you want to call us up, 337-706-0111. Chat me up about anything and everything that you want to get into. Because trust me, there's a lot of different angles we can get into on this show. But I'm going to go a little bit high school football at a glance, like right here, right now. Because there's a lot of different things that have kind of been thrown up, obviously. But here's the here's the big thing that I was kind of noticing. And this actually came out yesterday. Let me give courtesy to Go Preps for kind of posting this. And this has to do with the fact that each LHSA sport head coach received a COVID impact survey via email today regarding their opinion on how sports season should be played. And they got till noon on June, July 7th. That is going to be on Tuesday to respond to this and voice their opinions on this. This is going to be interesting to see how this kind of goes. Cause this could determine how like high school sports go in 2020, especially high school football. I, and you know, Eddie Bonine said recently that, you know, I don't think you could see high school football be played in the spring. And, you know, I'm honestly looking forward to, you know, hearing what's going to happen with that. There's a lot of other different questions. Are we going to see high school football happen in the spring rather than the fall? And then what do you do? With the other sports, and me and my dad, we actually talked about this, and I like the I, I like the theory that he had, and I think this is probably the smartest thing to go about this. It's basically here. Here's your route. You've got you put high school baseball and softball in the fall. You have those play, let's say, starting in September, October. Those are the sports that you can practice the most social distancing. If you had again, if you absolutely had to put that in there. 
Now, the real question is, what happens with kind of high school basketball? Because that's, I know our guy Danny Broussard would not be a fan of the fact you'd have football in the spring and high school football players play basketball, so you'd wind up losing them for the stretch run. I think you'd have to try and figure out something with that as well. Maybe move up basketball. Maybe have that wrap up around, let's say, February rather than the March Madness. Have that wrap up sometime around February and then play the regular season you know, of football after that. That way, all the attention and all the focus is on high school football rather than take away from high school basketball. But Eddie Bonine, obviously, we talked about it last week. More likely than not, not a huge fan of that concept. Hour one in the books. Hour number two coming up in just a little bit. And I'm going to open up the hour talking about the NBA's second bubble. As I'm going to call it, the Delete Eight. Maybe a great idea after all. We'll be back after this on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, welcome everybody to hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully having a great 4th of July, letting freedom ring all across the Acadiana area. Let everybody know what you're doing. Hopefully you're out there enjoying yourself, practicing safe social distancing, and as I mentioned last Saturday, you're wearing your darn mask, pal. We know, and heck, hopefully you're enjoying the hot dog eating contest. Joey Chestnut going for 13 in a very different type of way when it comes to the hot dog eating contest every year. I look forward to it. I'm wind up having to check it out when it replays. But that's a different conversation for a different day. But of course, as always, we are coming to you live, or should, should I say, I Coming to you live from the game studios, the palatial, the opulent, dare I say cromulent, 103.7 The Game Studios. I can't help it that I'm custom made. I can't help it that I look good, smell good, can't dance all night long. And of course, we appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it on the FM dial. This is where the power lies. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself listening in that way. The free mobile app, smart speaker, Amazon Alexa, Google Home. I'm sure you can figure out a whole bunch of different ways to do so, including the .com. And we appreciate you listening in. And I got to say, I'm just in a darn good mood because it's a Saturday. I'm always in a good mood because it's a Saturday. And also the fact that it is a 4th of July. And boy, oh boy, it, this puts me in an even better mood. When last year I spent more money on spilt liquor 
in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Oh, yeah, definitely one hell of a way to start off our number two of two. Hopefully, you're out there enjoying yourself and having a little celebration in honor of this great country of ours. And I'm just more than happy to be here. they got to be the soundtrack, if you will. Better yet, just enjoying what's going on on a Louisiana Saturday afternoon. And, you know, I mentioned Saturday afternoon. We got some news coming up at the end of the month. I'm going to kind of just put it out there now. There's going to be some changes going on involving Acadiana Sports Station on the weekends. Don't worry. It's nothing but great things. So hopefully you're ready to kind of hear the news that we're going to be dropping on you in the next few weeks. I don't want to give you the full iota because, honestly, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the, we don't know full changes at this point in time. But when we know... Outright what's going on, you're going to love it. I think everybody is going to love what's caused and all this. But I was I was mentioning the second bubble. The NBA is working on a second bubble. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this winds up working with the second bubble that the NBA is proposing. And the, this is going to be probably the most interesting part of this. And... I'm going to call it the Delete 8. By the way, you can call us up 337-706-0111. Let's go to the game hotline. We got somebody on there. Again, full disclosure, I can't necessarily answer the phone because I'm the guy producing the show, but we got somebody on the line. Let's get to him. How's it going? Hey, Clint, how you doing? This is Ralph. Hey, Ralph, Um, how you feeling out there? Pretty good, man, pretty good. Uh, A little 4th of July, you know, just kind of hanging out and, and Staying safe, you know, but uh, that's what I'm talking about. But no, I just wanted to. to I know this is kind of yesterday's news, but uh, but when uh, Kevin uh, Foot was talking about great American moments, and you kind of alluded to it earlier uh, in, in your uh, opening statement here, one of the great American moments had to be when Joey Chestnut finally defeated Kobayashi, and you know, to, to ha- you got to have a, a USA guy as a hot dog eating champion, right? I mean, you you got that's to. American, bro. I mean, you know, and ironically, you bring this up. Last night, I was I had it on the Four Letter Network, and they were airing the Mighty Ducks. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have this on, watch it because I haven't watched it in a while. And you realize that the guy who was the coach of the Hawks has just been typecast as the guy who's kind of a jackass for the most part. And then, like right after that, they were airing like this thirty for thirty about Kobayashi and his journey to become like the hot dog eating king. And then they showed the dethroning of Joey Chestnut and how that whole like thing went down when they had the tie that wound up going into overtime. That was it felt like they when they did, wrote the thirty for thirty and put all this together, it it felt like <laughs> yeah. they were working this to make it seem like it was the Montreal screw job if we're gonna go pro wrestling. <laughs> and, and and you know, there were rumors and, and of course I mean obviously I didn't believe them, but that Kobayashi actually had had surgery and had an extra stomach implanted, you know, and that's why he was able because he was so, so small in statue, you know, you wouldn't have expected that. But uh, but anyway, that was a great American moment. Uh, I think, uh, in, in, you know, you know, not directly sports related per se. And the other one that's not, uh, you know, I know it's not a hundred percent sports, but 
every time Hacksaw Jim Duggan came into the ring with that American flag and the two by four, getting the crowd. Oh yeah, two by four and the and the American flag and beating the Iron Sheik. I mean, that was some classic stuff, man. So just a couple of Fourth of July memories I wanted to share. I love that, Ralph. Thank you so much for calling in, brother. All right, Clint. Take care, buddy. All right, how can you not love the fact we get Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Oh, we get him dropped in on the show. Tough guy. Hopefully you're enjoying your 4th of July, Ralph, and anybody else who wants to get in on the conversation. You know, and I don't mind, like, flipping the switch, talking a little bit about All-American moments and great 4th of – great, you know, American memories. And he brought up Joey Chestnut. The man is a 13-time – he's – uh, quickly approaching Ric Flair in terms of having all these title belts, a mustard yellow belt, may not be as prestigious as, as 10 pounds of gold, but at the end of the day, an American's holding it. He is a real American and fighting for the rights of every man, woman, and child to be able to eat all the great food that America is offering him and hot dogs and buns. May not be Lewis's favorite thing, but trust me, it's Joey Chestnut's absolute favorite even the mega toad of Stony, and I can't wait to see the hot dog eating contest without fans. Yes, it'll be without fans, not inside Coney Island. It's going to be an undisclosed location, probably west of parts unknown, right near Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, south of Mars, north of hell, wherever it's going to be. I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic event. Sadly, I'm a, our normal guy, Adrian Morgan, not going to be a part of it. It's only going to be your top five guys, basically, from the Northeast. Joey Chestnut and everybody else. It's not the same as what we've seen in the past. But trust me, it's still going to be just as entertaining. And, you know, I'm looking forward to that. I mentioned it during Ben's show. He brought up footnotes, talking about All-American moments. How can we not bring up the iconic moment of 1996 Atlanta? Kurt Angle winning a gold medal with a broken freaking neck. And that's not a... That's not... Kayfabe, that's a shoot, brother. That's actually what happened with Kurt Angle back in 1996, and he still was able to wrestle for years after that, after multiple neck surgeries and his addiction. That's one of the big like goals of like getting him as a guest on the uh, the Cajun Strong Style podcast, which will be dropping this Monday, and we actually have a guest for this week's show, and that's going to be Shayla Hyde, women's wrestler, independence, independent wrestler, we're going to talk to her about her journey. And she also had a match, an enhancement match with um, uh, Nia Jax a couple years ago. So I'm going to talk to her about that, what it was like working with her and a whole lot more. But that's a different conversation for a different day. But when it comes to what's going on with the 4th of July American moments, I think we can obviously bring up Miracle. We can bring that up. But I think we can also bring up, I mean, Ralph brought up Hulk Hogan. I mean, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I think we need to bring up Hulk Hogan in this conversation. Hulk Hogan is America. He had a theme song called Real American, which I, I turned who it was originally used by. You have him, Hulk Hogan, beating, and he brought up Iron Sheik. Hulk Hogan beating Iron Sheik for the WWF title in Madison Square Garden, lifted pro wrestling to, a, to new heights, and it was just the way they did that, the way he beat Iron Sheik. I mean, we could bring up Rocky IV, Rocky beating Drago to destroy communism once and for all. Because at the end of the day, that's what happened. Rocky des- Rocky was the one factor to destroy communism overnight by beating Ivan Drago, the man who was just injected with so many steroids. It was absolutely ridiculous. The man was a beast. 
But of course, you know, I love. I, I'm going to go ahead and deviate. I was going to talk about the Delete Eight, but guess what? He has such a great conversation. Ralph had such a great conversation with me. Why not get into the Fave Five all-time American sports moments? Because I'm, I'm in a good mood. So let's just go ahead and do that right here, right now. But I think we need some really apropos music. Going to try and get this thing ready right now because I'm in a darn good mood. And he set it up. Number five on the Faye Five All-American Moments. Number five. Personally, I think I got to go with Mary Lou Retton, 1984 Olympics, getting it done. Just a great story. Mary Lou Retton securing the bag and winning in the 1984 Olympics. Just a great story in general in sports. Number four, 1999, the Women's World Cup, USA, all the way. The U.S. Women's National Team has the coming out party of all time. And we see Team USA win the Women's World Cup and the rest, as they say, is history. Number three, we've got to go with George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch in the World Series in Yankee Stadium about a month or so after a couple months after 9-11 how can that not be towards the top of everybody's list number 3 in my personal fave 5 and then we go with number 2 Miracle on Ice 1980 absolutely an amazing moment in the history of sports in the history the Cold War was at its peak in 1980 the peak of its powers And through the power of positivity and the USA gets it done and is the winner of those 1980 Olympics, the miracle on ice. And then you had my personal favorite, Kurt Angle, 1996 gold medal with a broken freaking neck. It's all American as apple pie. And how can you not include that in the the conversation, excuse me, of all American moments he is Kurt Angle, a man from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A man who was a true blue American through and through, pulling himself up by the bootstraps like the common man. And it's absolutely amazing to say Kurt Angle, number one in my fave five. We'll take a quick timeout. Be back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com on Under the Dome with CD. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a good one. Coming to you live from the game studios as per the huge. Ross Jackson can be joining the program in about 10 minutes or so. And trust me, we're going to go long talking about the New Orleans Saints. And I'm looking forward to it. But I want to spend a little bit of time looking at one Louisiana Raging Cajun in particular, and that's Levi Lewis. 
And it's all simply because of the fact that I, I was blown away by Lindy Sports. The National Magazine announced their preseason all-sunbelt team in their preview. And Elijah Mitchell, no surprise, absolute beast of a running back, a former ERAP Bobcat, getting it done, and is your preseason Sunbelt Player of the Year. That being said, I'm going to throw this out here. Levi Lewis being the second-team All-Sunbelt is an absolute disgrace, at least in my opinion, because I just think that he is such a damn good player on that football program. He may be one of the best to play in that Sunbelt Conference, and he's improved by leaps and bounds. He's improved so darn much, and I get it. I get where they're coming from with some of that. You know, you've got, obviously, App State has always been the big dog and has had really great, consistent QB play since arriving from the little sisters of the poor, no offense, of the FCS, and moving up to the FBS. And it makes a lot of sense. Zach Thomas being projected as one of those, as a conference MVP, it makes sense. But I think at the end of the day, you have to consider Levi Lewis heading into his senior season, having after having a full year under his belt and having an offense built around him and what he did, probably one of the best quarterback seasons since Terrence Broadway. How can he not be considered to be in that first team all Sun Belt Conference? Zach Thomas is good, but I'm not sure what he can do with their new head coach. They're having to go through their second head second new head coach and this is his second straight because again Scott Satterfield he gone the guy who took over him Eli Drinkwitz he go he over in Mizzou now and the cage is going to play him again but I think he's going to have a tougher road to hoe over in Mizzou versus App State I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen and you know, breaking news: Miki Sudo getting it done is your is your hot dog eating champion once again with a new world record. I was getting texts during the break. I'm not able to watch it right now, and I'm very I'm very upset about that. But it is what it is. Hopefully, I can get over to something that streams the actual men's contest. But Miki Sudo Miki Sudo gets it done. New world record set by her. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a new world record set. By Joey freaking Chestnut, but I, I'm I was surprised to see Zach Thomas or Zach Taylor, excuse me. Why am I thinking Zach Thomas? Zach Taylor out of App State getting chosen over Levi Lewis. I get it. App State's been the big dog. Whoever's the quarterback over there is going to get a, maybe a little bit of preferential treatment. I get that, but it still blows my mind. Still blows my mind that we're talking about the the Cajuns quarterback being second team. I don't think they get nearly enough love. They had six total players make that like cut, make that make that all Sun Belt preseason list. Again, according to Lindy's, you can check it out the full thing in terms of the preseason. And you know, he had we had Mitchell be named preseason Sun Belt Player of the Year. By Lindy's, you know, the MVP, according to Lindy Sports, was the App State QB. But the first team was Joe Dillon, 
makes sense. Reese Burns, punter, I definitely would agree with that. The dude had some amazing punches, absolute boomers. And then you have Levi Lewis, Trey Regis, and Zion Hill bring up the rear on the second team. Trey Regis, I can kind of understand, but how do you not include Trey, include Levi Lewis or, you know, your boy Zion Hill? He is going to be an absolute monster this year. Like this team, I've mentioned it before, has every chance to be probably the best player on the defense. He has every chance to do that. I'm looking forward to seeing how he plays this year. Joe Dillon is going to be an absolute monster in 2020. I think there's a lot of different guys that I can peg in that spot as well. But I was blown away by the fact that Levi Lewis didn't get nearly as much love. I, I I understand where the hierarchy is. But, you know, but you know Mitchell, offensive player of the year preseason. Joe like uh, Zion Hill is gonna be damn good, and I think whenever I look at this team, up and down, they have without a doubt probably the strongest grouping in the entire Sunbelt Conference from top to bottom. And this isn't bias. This isn't me being biased as all get up because I love the Cajuns, despite what maybe some people say on the Twitter sphere. I'm a Cajun supporter. I've been to several games over the last several years. I was there in 1996. I was there for most of these 10 wins, this 10 win season. I was there for the opener last year, covering it for that Cajuns Mississippi State game. And I've been able to be part of a lot of great moments as a Cajuns reporter and a fan. At the end of the day, this may be the best Cajuns team of all time. This is going to be a program that gets to 10 wins with relative ease. I would not be surprised if they go 11 and 0. 11 and 1, maybe 12 and 0 if they can get lucky and beat App State. App State's your one big bugaboo. Who knows if that Mizzou game's still going to happen? Of course, who knows if a season's going to happen at all? If it gets moved to the spring or what have you? There are a lot of questions. And we're all trying to figure out those answers as we speak. There's just a lot of stuff going on with it. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout in just a little bit. Because we got to have our guy Ross Jackson on the program. Lights, camera, action. It's time for Ross Jackson to talk a little bit about those New Orleans Saints. What's going to happen with them. Potential sponsorships for those tarps. They're going to be putting on the first seven, eight rows. And a whole lot more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Back after this. The numbers don't lie. Because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037, The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037, The Game, and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon, 4th of July. I cannot wait for this show to wrap up. But before we get 
even closer to it. Honestly, we need to get over to the game hotline and talk a little New Orleans Saints football with our guy, Ross Jackson, Canal Street Chronicles, and the Locked On Saints podcast. Ross, it took a few months, but I finally nailed it without stumbling over the old All Saints Considered stuff. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Hey, look. I, uh, I I see your work, and I appreciate you very much. No, man, I'm uh, glad to be here with you again today. I appreciate you coming on the program once again. Let's start things off, obviously, with what everybody's been talking about. Davion Clowney still out there in free agency, still looking for a gig in the NFL. What's the likelihood of the Saints of getting a guy like that, even on the relative cheap like we've seen since last Sunday with the Cam Newton deal paying him basically pennies on the dollar for a shot at trying to kind of turn your career around. In the case of Davion Clowney, like you're seriously wondering, can the Saints get him? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing to watch because one of the reasons why he's on the market is more than certainly his asking price. His asking price has definitely kept him on the market. And he said that he's in no rush. He intends to sign before the season begins, but he's you know still willing to wait around and try to find the money that he wants. I don't know that he's going to be able to get it. And, What's going to end up happening, and as this usually happens for guys that you know are a little bit stubborn about their asking price, is that they eventually end up signing on a contract that they that's well below what it was that they were asking. And so I think that once you get to that point, the Saints absolutely have a shot to get them. Because the fact of the matter is that if the Saints want Jadavian Clowney, they will make them. They'll make the space to do it. They're sitting at around nine million dollars of salary right now. You know, uh, a cut like let's say Nick Easton, for instance, would save them over another $5 million, so that ends up putting them around, what, $14 million? So I mean, they can still make the run that they need. They've also got some other cap-saving situations that they can that they can create as well to you know pocket themselves, line those pockets a little bit more. But uh, they can definitely pull it off if they, if they decide that that's who they want to go after, and I think they should be interested. It's just all about watching that asking price go down. And, you know, it's, it's, the, it's all about that asking price, but what if he still is standing kind of firm at that spot at the table but you still want to get an edge rusher. Is there somebody out there that they could get on the cheap to help them out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a, a few other guys that are still out there. You know, I think about a guy like Everson Griffin out of Minnesota. You have to, you know, there's going to be some question marks about him because he does have some well-documented moments where he stepped away from the game for a little bit in 2018 to take care of his mental health, which I commend him for. But that's certainly going to create some questions from teams in terms of being able to kind of be able to actually get him into the facility, talk to him, see how he's feeling, see how he's doing, so they don't end up signing him into a position that could potentially both hurt him and the team in some way throughout the regular season. You don't want to put him in that situation. So with COVID-19 and the pandemic and not being able to get players to facilities, that particular conversation just takes some time before they're actually going to be able to have it. But once all of that opens up and then once that sort of engagement can start to happen again, Everson Griffin could absolutely be an option. You look at some other veteran guys out there like Vinnie Curry. I'm particularly interested in Clay Matthews as well. Clay Matthews is somebody that can contribute off of the edge, but that can also be a really, really fantastic mentor for a guy like Zach Bond, who himself is going to be converted into an off-ball linebacker, and so he's going to share a little bit of that hybrid linebacker responsibility role, just like Clay Matthews was famous for in his earlier years. And so getting a mentor like him in the building could also be helpful for some of these other young guys around in, uh, around the Saints organization as well. And there's a lot of young guys, especially when you just look at what they did this past offseason in the NFL draft, getting things done with a lot of these rookies. And you, you've got to imagine that these guys are going to be behind the eight ball when it comes to training camp, if there is a true training camp this summer. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw something very akin to this in 2011 with the holdout uh, when the with the CBA issues that took place between the players and the team. I'm sorry, in the NFL. And so we've seen something akin to this before. Then they had their uh, training camp not begin until July 25th. We are expecting July 28th this year. They're already talking about potentially canceling two preseason games, potentially even more, depending on what the NFLPA has to say. And then there's also the uh, Hall of Fame game, which has already been canceled, but you kind of expected that one already in the first place anyway. Uh, but when it comes down to it, it's really going to come down to some of these veteran guys that have that are re- returning to systems that they've continued to be a part of over the course of the last couple of years. That's where the Saints sort of have a little bit of an edge amongst the rest of the NFL. You could also look at the Kansas City Chiefs, for instance, that carry that same type of edge. But those veteran guys in a familiar system are going to be sort of the big jumping-off point for NFL teams this season. You brought up the Hall of Fame game getting canceled, and then we wound up seeing, I think we're a scale of 1 to 10, Ross, the week 1 and week 4 of the preseason. How glad are you those are canceled? Uh, I think that those cancellations probably I'd put around uh, just to acknowledge that there's a chance that it doesn't happen, I'll put it around 85 to 90%, but it seems pretty certain that that's going to happen at least. The NFLPA is also, it hasn't signed off on it. It's the only thing that is sort of holding this up at the moment. And the reason why they haven't signed off on it isn't necessarily they want to retain those games. It's that they're potentially interested in what would it be like to cancel the entire preseason altogether or more of the preseason because, you know, what exactly is the risk versus reward of playing games too early and playing games and allowing sort of that inter-team contact when the games don't count, when it doesn't count towards your regular season, when it has nothing to do with the regular season and the Super Bowl and the playoffs, is there value in those games? So I think that that's a little bit more of the conversation that's happening. So I would say that it's very, very, very likely that at least one and four will be canceled or some combination of two, but potentially more as well. So what you're saying is, Ross, is the potential of the entire preseason being canceled Honestly, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, look, it's going to keep people safe. You're you're risking at some point, uh, you know, people's health, these players' health. And not only the players, but the, you know, the players, the staff, the coaches, in some cases the fans, depending upon, you know, fans that where there are fans able to attend and if they're willing to sign waivers and things like that, uh, media. There, there's so many people that you have to be concerned about outside of just those at, you know, a peak athleticism, right? <laughs> you have to be concerned about a lot of different people. And so with all of that, uh, I completely understand the impetus to not put those people at risk for something that doesn't have any value down the road. Now, it does make it a little bit tougher for some of those, you know, undrafted free agents, day three draft picks, journeymen, veterans, those guys to, to you know, play their way onto the 53-man roster, but it just makes those sort of practice reps and those uh, scrimmages that the play, that the teams will run with one another just makes that a little bit more important in terms of what the coaches have to use to evaluate. You know, we're talking right now with Ross Jackson, uh, Canal Street Chronicles, and the Locked On Saints podcast. You brought up earlier filling out a waiver if you're a fan to be able to attend these NFL games. You know, that brings a question that I want to pose to you. Would you sign a waiver to go to an NFL game this fall? I... I would consider it, and I'm in a very specific situation because I don't have any at-risk people at home. I could very easily, and I work from home, so I could very easily go to a game, cover it, come home, quarantine, you know, keep myself in, isolate for two weeks. I could do it safely. I think that a lot of other people wouldn't necessarily have that option. Um, so I would consider it, especially depending upon at what point, if we start to see a dip in numbers, and then we're talking, you know. 
a month between that point and that game? You know, how much time is in between there? If we see that the numbers are still rising by then, then I probably wouldn't risk that. But if we're in the right situation and because of my personal situation to where I wouldn't be putting anybody at risk in my own home or in my area, then I would consider it. But we have to, I mean, I of course understand that not everybody is uh, in that situation and certainly have people that they have to, that they have to keep safe at home. From what I've been seeing with a lot of different polls that have popped up across this across the Twitter sphere, a lot of people are saying yes on this. So I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp as you. In fact, like earlier this week, I actually went get this to a baseball game, an actual baseball game oh. that happened. So like that, that was an interesting experience in and of itself, just to see how that went and wearing them, of course, wearing the mask. So that was just an interesting experience in and of itself, being like one of like maybe mm-hmm. four or five people wearing a mask. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you, know, you you have to imagine, and I can guarantee I would be out there fully decked out, one mask, maybe even two, uh, just to keep everybody around me safe. And of course, you know, practicing social distancing and everything. And I think that the protocols that are put in place that are there to follow and there to keep everybody safe would certainly factor into that decision as well. Exactly, it's going to factor huge into that. But one of the other things that's been talked about is tarping off the first seven or eight rows in all the NFL stadiums, including the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, that makes you wonder, you know, with the tarps, and I know they're thinking about putting sponsorships up there, who would be the sponsor for the Mercedes-Benz Superdome tarp that would cover up those first, like, seven, eight rows? I have to imagine that Zatarans would be in there somewhere. I'd love to see Cash Money No Limit Records get involved. Maybe a little Tony Satchery's ad. I mean, you, you, I think I imagine you would see a lot more local ads in that area as opposed to the national ads. Um, but, you know, I'm sure you get your usual local, I mean, your usual national ones as well, like Geico and State Farm and things like that. But the other thing that I'm really interested in, and, and not to change the subject, but the other thing I'm really interested in with that tarping is that if there is some type of a form or some type of a way to utilize that space for social justice messages in order to sort of come to a compromise with the players. So there's a lot of dialogue going on around the idea of the NFL players and the NFL association, the clubs, uh, actually talking a little bit about how they want to approach messages, messages in favor of social justice or in support of social justice uh, during the season between Roger Goodell, the league, and uh, players within the, the NFL. If they want to stay away from and if they want to collectively stay away from protests during the anthem, could utilizing some of that quote-unquote ad space as a means of you know, putting up some type of end racism or fight racism type of verbiage like we see in the soccer leagues, is that an option to sort of help to alleviate and, 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 and give the players a, a means of saying, here's how we're going to make a statement together and unified as opposed to the potential of further division coming from any other types of protests without communication. So that's another thing that I'm really interested in seeing beyond where those ads end up landing uh, within each stadium. Hey, I, I had that's a great point, but you brought up no limit and cash money. Honestly, I'd go half and half. Be like, hey, let's put one half be cash money and the other half be no limit soldiers. <laughs> that would probably be the most nola thing of all time, to be honest. That would be absolutely fantastic. It would be perfect, you know. And I love the other part of it too is that you know. Which side becomes the home sideline side, or do you alternate for over the eight games? You know what I mean? Because you're going to have a little bit of a division among Saints fans. You're going to have a little bit of a division amongst the team. We know that you know Michael Thomas loves to rep some no limit, so maybe that ends up us, you know, being the the, the draw or the impetus to make the home field side 
the home sideline side, no limit. I think that would be a really interesting one, just split it half and half and let them, let them, let them come in for it. Exactly. I'd be all the way for it. I mean, you have literally it just splits right in the middle of the Superdome. I think it'd absolutely be the perfect situation just to have a little fun like in the midst of all this. Make sure you can have mm-hmm. cash money millionaires and no limit soldiers. Like just make it Nola as all get out. Like, yeah, it'd be great to have Zatarans or what have you, but man, putting those two in, inside the Mercedes Benz Superdome, having those logos emblazoned. The only thing left would be Master P coming out on a damn tank on the first game. Right, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Just riding in. And then, uh, you know, on those ads, you could just have a big, just sort of, you know, you can just emblaze. You could just have a big uh, Master P face on one half. You can have Birdman's face on the other half. You can uh, have those guys come in for the halftime performances. I- I- I'd love it. I'm down for it, 100%. I think Somebody we might get them on the phone. Exactly. I'm going to go ahead and text them after this is done, Ross. <laughs> but, you know, you, you wound up putting out something interesting over on Twitter a couple of days ago, and that involves kind of looking at comparing that 2011 New Orleans Saints team that looked pretty damn good and comparing them to the 2020 team. I think there's a lot of different points of views we can look at this. So I'm going to pull up the poll in just a moment. What, made, what was the inspiration behind this? So this is something I've kind of been looking at because there are a lot of parallels between the 2020 and 2011 season. You just look at the type of offseason that this team has had and the way that they're loading up. Uh, this isn't in, certain, in terms of the, the free agency moves themselves. Not a lot were made in 2011 because the free agency period started so late in 2011 because of the holdout. But you just look at how this team is constructing, and it feels very akin to what the team had in 2011. And then just a couple of days ago, there was an interview with Deuce McAllister as well as another with Jonathan Domo with some of local New Orleans media, and they were talking about, you know, how does this 2020 roster look like it backs up? And the consensus generally seems to be that the 2020 roster in terms of on paper could be up there in terms of one of the top two, top three teams in the NFL. However, it has to play out on the field, not just on paper. So I thought that I would go ahead and kind of get like maybe the fan reaction to it and break down sort of by position group where it is that people feel like this team is the strongest. And so we looked at every one of the position groups. I talked about it over on Lockdown Saints. I'm going to do an article for it as well over at Cashier Chronicles and just kind of see where the fan space is versus maybe taking a look at what that could mean for this team here in 2020. And I want to look at some of the more interesting battles because obviously to me, you know, you look at the 2011-2020 wide receiver battle, I'd definitely give the edge to 2020 simply because of our guy Mike Thomas. But looking at that mm-hmm. offensive line, 2011 or 2020, like to me, I think 2011, simply because of the fact they had that resume, when you look at 2020, I think I'd like that for the future. But if this were one game to win it all, I'd go with 2011. I completely agree with you. I was actually shocked by the response to that one because I very much thought that 2011 was just going to blow that one way out of the water because you're talking about two all pro guards in Carl Nix and Jari Evans. Jari Evans, of course, just last week uh, inducted into the Saints Hall of Fame. Brian De La Puente was no slouch at all at center. And then you had your two tackles who, you know, look, if you, if you ask me today if I would rather have uh, Zach Shrew from Javon Bushrod from 2011 or Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek of today, I'll tell you that I want Ryan Ramchek and, and Teron Armstead. However, along the interior at all three positions, I think that the 2011 team has the ability 
to or performed better than what the 2020 team very likely will. And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that they have some question marks. We don't know who's going to play center. We don't know who's going to play right guard. We don't know if Andrew Speed's going to stay healthy. With what we saw from 2011, I thought that the particularly along the interior where as we've seen, that being the most sort of precious part of the Saints' offensive line, particularly right now with Drew Brees, that that would set them over the top. But, I, I, I mean, hey, look, I was very surprised to see that one too. And then one of the other ones that was kind of interesting was 2011 versus 2020 quarter, cornerbacks, excuse me, with Marshawn Lattimore, Janoris Jenkins representing 2020, and then you had Jabari Greer, T- Tracy Porter. And this one was one-sided towards 2020. Was that one surprising to you? That one is extremely surprising to me. I, I couldn't make a choice between the two, so I thought that this was going to be much closer. I thought that if one of them won, that it was going to be separated by maybe a couple of percentage points. I didn't expect it to be so overwhelmingly in favor of 2020, which may have so much, which may just simply be recency bias. Uh, but there is an expectation that this Marshawn Lattimore, Janoris Jenkins duo can be one of the better Saints corner duos that they've ever had in their history. And a lot of it comes down to just their ability. You know, Janoris Jenkins is one of the there's maybe 10 corners out there in the NFL presently that can create turnovers off of man-to-man coverage. We know that Marshawn Lattimore also plays very well in man-to-man. So there's a lot of – that creates a lot of positivity for the Saints defense. Gives the defensive line more time to get after the quarterback. Puts Marshawn Lattimore in a place where he performs well. Janoris Jenkins in a place where he performs well. And then allows the safeties to do their jobs deep and in the middle, as well as the linebackers. And so the, 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 the system could work really well, but we have to see it, right, before we, you know, it, it does take a level of projection in order to compare these two in any position group. But for me, Jabari Greer and uh, Tracy Porter, probably, if not the, certainly one of the best uh, cornerback duos that the Saints have had in their history. And so I was surprised to see this one so overwhelmingly favored toward 2020. I was kind of surprised at that too. Ross, before I let you go real quick, why don't I uh, I did this about a couple months ago, and that was looking mm-hmm. at my five favorite Saints of all time. What's your What's your fave five? Oh, let me see. Um, I'm inevitably going to forget somebody that after we get off this call, I'm going to go, oh, I should have said this other person. But I'll go with um, Drew Brees and Ricky Jackson are at the top for me. Uh, and this is this is this is favorite, right? Not best. Yeah, favorite because best the uh, best is subjective. Favorite is your per, a personal best. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So those two for me. Uh, my One of my other favorites that I would have to throw into this top ten for sure is Cam Jordan, just his personality as well as his level of play. Uh, Michael Lewis I have to put in my top five as well. Again, yes. In terms of favorite, because Mike, Michael Lewis really helped me get into football, period. Like he, he made it exciting to watch the Saints play, and that was huge for me. So got to throw the beer man in there. And he made me, when I was playing football, want to be a returner. So that was huge for me. Uh, and then probably number five, I'll, I'll throw in DeMario Davis as, as a right now and today pick because I really do think that outside of Drew Brees, he's probably the best free agency signing that this franchise has had. The amount of work that he does off the field as well as the incredible work that he does on the field is just remarkable. So I'll, I'll throw him in that top five for me right now as well. I love it, Ross. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. By the way, Deuce McAllister is my number one on this one. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Deuce is somebody I was trying to figure out where to work in there as well. And, you know, he's just going to be that guy that once you hang up, I'm going to go, well, I could have put him there. <laughs> Ross, thank you so much, man. T- take it easy. Absolutely. Take care, brother. Take care. All right. That was Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. I almost said it, but I didn't. We're going to take a quick timeout, wrap up the show next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on 1037 The Game.
types of people. Those who are in the know and those who are left out. Don't be one of the left out ones. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 1037 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Honestly, there's a lot more to it than that when it comes to the Saints. More concerning some news that kind of popped up yesterday concerning the potential roster size heading into camp. It's not going to be what it used to be. Odds are could very well be 70 players are going to have to be on that roster, meaning those preseason games won't nearly mean as much. That being said, though, I think there's three players that many Saints fans are going to have to keep an eye on in terms of players that are probably going to wind up getting snubbed from this 70-man roster. The biggest one for me, Anthony Chiquillo, one of their more recent free agency signings. He has a chance to be missing out on it. Another one, former LSU Tiger Will Clapp definitely has a chance to be missing out on it. I think they need offensive line depth, but at the end of the day, beggars can't be choosers. He might be one of those guys that gets out the door, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. Another one that I think is going to wind up probably being on the outside looking in doesn't come as much of a surprise. Tino Ellis, he is going to be a guy to keep an eye on, and he's probably going to be getting out the door before long. Not a whole lot of experience out of Maryland, but he's going to be a guy that could very well be out the door, and that'll be a darn shame to say the least. But I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday afternoon. we got an Astros Classic coming up next, the final game in the regular season for the Astros in the Astrodome. I'll talk to you next Saturday with another edition of Under the Dome with CD from 10 a.m. to noon, for now at least, on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Peace! Show it on. Oh, yeah. Kick it.